It's time to put principles ahead of politics. This is Sages of the Sun, brought to you by The New York Sun. I'm Caroline Beek, a co-founder and editor of The Sun, and I'm joined by Seth Lipsky, our legendary editor-in-chief. We're here to take you behind the headlines, unblinkered, principled, and straight. Today, we're sitting down with Donald Kirk, our correspondent in Asia. Don has covered wars from Vietnam to Iraq, focusing on political, diplomatic, economic, and social, as well as military issues. He's also known for his reporting on North Korea, including the nuclear crisis and human rights. Let's get started. Mr. Kirk, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Let's get get started. So you live in Seoul most of the year, is that correct? That's right. I I would say maybe half, maybe half, maybe more than half the year, going back in in a few weeks. And how long have you been living there? Well, I've been off and on in Korea, very much off and on. I first went there in 1972. And the issue then was that uh, North and South Korea had agreed to Red Cross talks under the auspices of the Red Cross organizations of both Koreas. And, you know, there was the usual tremendous optimism outpouring of publicity surrounding those talks. And uh, of course, uh, great statements and much hope, which is the way it's always been with talks between North and South Korea or between uh, North Korea and the US and others and then followed by disappointment. One great difference between those initial talks in 72 and what we have now is the nuclear issue was not on the table. No one was worried about North Korea's nukes. Of course, uh, Kim Il-sung, who was still uh, very much in power, had initiated a nuclear program, but but it was just very much a, you know, a non, a, a not a factor in, in, in negotiations. And then they agreed on such wonderful things as family visits and mail and even some commerce and all that, none of which came, came to happen except for one much publicized family visit around that time. That was about it. What was that one very publicized visit? Uh, well, there was one visit, some families reunited uh, and, you know, great pictures in the papers and all that kind of thing. And, and that was it. And, you know, uh, they didn't agree on regular family visits until um, the inter-Korean summit in June 2000 between Kim Dae-jung and uh, Kim Jong-il, both of whom are no longer with us. And so what's kept you in Korea all these years? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, first place I got in, I, I went to Korea with the Chicago Tribune initially. I was based in Tokyo. And that's why I went to Korea. And then uh, someone asked me, oh, why don't you write a book about the Hyundai Empire? And I don't know what uh, kind of book they expected. I think they expected a book about how, what, how great these Koreans were doing in manufacturing cars and other and ships and so forth. Well, I got all that, but I spent an awful long time on that book. Got a lot of stuff on uh, labor problems and family disputes among members of the owning family, the family of Chung Joo Young all kinds of stuff. It took me several years, to, over a period of six years to write that book. I, it was not in any way supported or subsidized by Hyundai. Although I will say they gave me interviews. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I actually got quite a lot of interesting information. Uh, the name of the book, if, if I may publicize this slightly, uh, is Korean Dynasty, Hyundai and Chung Joo Young. And it came out in, in 1994. Very interesting. I, uh, and, and from there, I went on to filing for other papers. I got a gig uh, with the International Herald Tribune 
and 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 then the Christian Science Monitor and um, and I love the I loved the International Herald Tribune. Yes, I did too. It was a shame that it 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 went out. Uh, it was you know it had such a highlight. Every time I went to Europe, that was like yes, this is what I get. Yeah, to right, now. right, right. Uh, well, the New York Times, you know, really bigfooted the whole operation. First, it was first the, the New York Times and the Washington Post co-owned it, and then the New York Times kicked out the Washington Post or bought it out, but basically kicked them out. And uh, then the New York Times decided, well, let's call it the New York Times. So now it's the New York Times International Edition. But one um, great distinction about that paper is they still have comic strips, which you don't find in the New York, New York Times. My favorite comic strip, Dilbert, runs every day. So as someone <laughs> who knows Korea very well, like what should interested observer in the US know and understand about Korean politics, how they see the world, how they see the region, how they see the partnership with the United States? Well, you know, the, uh, I, over the years, I've, I've talked to innumerable politicians and analysts and so forth, and they're at think tanks. <clears throat> People will talk to you there. You know, we've got our set of contacts and, and, and foundations, uh, as Sejong Institute, is a government-funded foundation which always goes the way of the government. A few years ago, when uh, Park Geun-hye was president, Sejong Institute was quite conservative. Then under uh, under uh, Moon Jae-in, the outgoing liberal president, Sejong Institute turned liberal, and they got a, an advisor there named Moon Jung-in, who's a big fan of, of all kinds of moves toward reconciliation and appeasement with North Korea, was an advisor to, and probably still is an advisor to Moon Jae-in. Uh, so he's chairman, but under the new president, President Yoon Suk Yeol, I suspect that Sejong Institute will start veering uh, the way he wants it to go. Uh, well, that's one one foundation. Then there's Asan Foundation, and 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 others which are quite helpful. So plenty of sources in uh, in Seoul, and you can even talk to people on the street and get their opinions, uh, which are often quite uh, jaded and cynical. So what's the mood now? The mood, I, I think, is, uh, you know, sort of high hopes for the new administration. Actually, I, I read somewhere that the popularity polls are showing that the incoming president, Yoon, is not so popular among a lot of people. But he won by an eyelash. He won by 0.73% of the votes over the liberal or even leftist Lee, Lee Jae-myung. And uh, I think there'll be a honeymoon period in which they more or less give him a break. Uh, in which uh, he'll he's going to uh, appoint some interesting people to his cabinet. By the way, the the new foreign minister is a gentleman named Park Jin, whom I've actually met a number of times over the years. Uh, he speaks well. He's got a doctorate from Oxford. He lectured at Newcastle. He's quite a genial person, and he's also quite conservative. He was just in Washington for a week, so he, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, Park Jin does. I I actually have his phone number. I called him up while he was in Washington, but I have to tell you, he wouldn't talk to me. He was very pleasant. He said, I can't talk. I'm sorry, I'm not giving interviews. What would you say is the state of the relationship between the U.S. and South Korea today? Well, they became rather strained under uh, the outgoing President Moon. Dis disagreements on how hard line or how, how serious to get about negotiating with North Korea. President Moon really wanted to leave us his legacy, a deal with North Korea. Korea. He, first, he was talking about an end of war agreement in which all sides declared the Korean War is over and we can take it from there. 
and uh, and that would of course led to a peace treaty. However, uh, one there are moves toward uh, even an end of war agreement, no interest, but never showed much interest in an end of war agreement. And nor did China. China, which would which was the signatory to the Korean War armistice. I uh, would also have to subscribe to an end of war agreement. They weren't particularly interested. They wanted the U.S. to drop sanctions against North Korea. They wanted some terms of their own before the agreement was even signed. And uh, so that end of war agreement became the topic of much discussion, much back and forth. But uh, I, the U.S. Uh, had, had ways of avoiding it without saying, no, no, it's a ridiculous idea. The National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was always extremely polite, as was Secretary of State Blinken, but particularly Sullivan, make, made some quite diplomatic verbal uh, slights of hand, I would say, in avoiding the topic or making clear, oh, you know, there, there are certain things we should do first and all that. Uh, and so they got out of the end of war agreement. Now, there's still pressure for an end of war agreement. Pressure from who? From a couple of sides. There's a big pro-North movement in the U.S., which has gained some ground in, in Congress, They've got a bunch of congressmen signing on to uh, a bill that hasn't gotten even into committee, much less out of committee, much less on the floor. There's, there's a bunch of congressmen, about 20 or 30 of them by now. Who, who, are, who are the congressmen? There's a California congressman whose name is Brad. I'm sorry, I, I should have this. You know, it's the sort of thing I could look up right away on Google. But And I've known their names and don't have them on the tip of my tongue. But there's a California congressman who's uh, quite a liberal, uh, if not a leftist, who's one of the main promoters. There's a couple of Cal California congressmen. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have them right as we speak. Uh, you know, probably get them right after we finish talking. But there's a bunch of congressmen behind this bill, but it hasn't gotten anywhere. It hasn't even gone into a committee discussion, much less on the floor of Congress. But nonetheless, there is this pressure uh, and it's not going to go away. There is a pressure from what it, it might be called the pro-North movement in the U.S. There's also a considerable pro-North movement in South Korea. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, support you for uh, for Lee Jae Myung and the outgoing President Moon. Remember, uh, as I said before, the margin of victory for the conservative Yoon was only 0.73 percent. It was incredible. So when you say pro-North movement, like what is the pro-North movement? sound like they make just about any excuse for anything north korea does but they don't like to talk about human rights then they say well we're worse our human rights record is worse or they say there's no proof or it's all propaganda or they uh, somehow turn aside the question what aboutism is a favorite way for turning aside questions about north korea's uh, human rights record you know what about your record uh, how can you talk and that kind of thing in fact, I learned the term whataboutism by continually seeing examples of whataboutism in some of the comments of people in the, what we call the pro-North movement. By the way, uh, the pro-North movement hates the term pro-North. Uh, they've got quite an aggressive, uh, quite an aggressive following. Uh, a bunch of them went to uh, Pyongyang in uh, 2013, I think it was. I covered their return to uh, South Korea when they were at the border. And it's women, by the way. They call themselves Women Cross DMZ. Gloria Steinem was there, and two uh, 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 women Nobel Prize winners were on, were on on board. Uh, 
and they're still aggressive. The, 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 uh, the organization keeps going under the name of Women Cross DMZ. So if they hate the moniker pro-North, what would they call themselves? Like pro-peace or something else? Oh, definitely pro-peace. But, but the first thing they say is, you know, get the U.S. out of South Korea. Get those soldiers home. Uh, stop uh, uh, warming up for a war against North Korea. Everything the U.S. does, everything the Americans do, is, uh, th that is the American military does, is, is viewed by them as an aggressive move against North Korea. So uh, that, that, that is really the most striking characteristic. That and their absolute denial or avoidance, perhaps would be a better word, their avoidance of the horrendous human rights uh, situation in North Korea. And of course, uh, they blame the US for instigating these missile tests that uh, Kim Jong-un has ordered. Uh, there's even a possibility of a, of a, of a seventh uh, nuclear test. Now, how strong a possibility that is, I would, wouldn't dare to say, but the last nuclear test conducted by North Korea was in September of 2017. It was in 2018 that there were a series of summits. Uh, South Korea, President Moon had his summit with Kim Jong-un. Um, President Trump had his meeting in Singapore with Kim Jong-un in the uh, in, in, two, in 2018, after the Pyeongchang Summer Olympics. I went down there, incidentally. Uh, not that I got any great exclusive stories. I just got a lot of atmosphere and a lot of comments. Donna, in reviewing this uh, kind of period, how do you think President Trump did? I mean, start with our little rocket man speech at the UN, uh, probably the most aggressive speech anyone ever made. I remember and that. And yet... The next thing you know, the two are meeting together, uh, hugging and kissing in uh, Singapore. Uh, That's right. So how do you assess all that? Remember that during his campaign, Donald Trump said that he'd like to have a sit down and have a hamburger with Kim Jong-un, implying that they could just be buddy and bu buddy, buddy and solve all their problems. And the second thing is that I, I really think that Trump had and probably still has a fixation on dictators that... I don't know that whether you would agree, but seeing his uh, his fraternal relationship with uh, Mr. Putin and seeing his meetings with Xi Jinping of China and and seeing his relationship with uh, Kim Jong Un and uh, with other you know dictatorial leaders, he he seems to think that well you know we can all be pals and solve the problem. Maybe Trump identifies with him. Maybe he'd like to be a dictator himself, which I'm not going, I'm not saying. I didn't say that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this sample of Sages of the Sun. To listen to the whole episode and access our entire catalog, go to NewYorkSun.com. That's NYSun.com. <laughs>